When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, what's up, everybody? It's rock and roll comedian Don Jameson right now. It's the Hook Podcast with the heaviest interviewer on the planet of rock, Jake Scott. Well, two years ago when I was just 20 years old, but let me tell you what happened to me. I had a girl who I truly loved. Yeah, we were happy as we could be. We had a house. A picket fence, we had a tire hanging from a tree. Everything was just as good as gold until I caught the bitch cheating on me. So give me back my cocaine, give me back my whiskey. Forget about the time when you almost missed me. Give me back my t-shirt, give me back my jeans. Give you back your hand when you give me back my ring. So give me back my It's Friday Eve. Welcome back to The Hook Rocks. I'm your host, Jay Scott. Glad to be with you. Glad you're here. Glad you're listening. Thank you very much. Getting ready for the weekend. little briskness in the air this morning and uh, late last night. Fall is definitely here. Excited about that. I always like when the seasons do change. Fall is my favorite season. October is like the best month for sports. You've got football, college football for me, postseason baseball, and the beginning of hockey season. So I am locked and ready to go for hockey, baseball, and and football. I love October when it comes to sports. We are part of the Pantheon Podcast Network. Love being a part of a great family of music-related podcasts. I mention them quite frequently here on the show, but if you're new, this is your first episode, please check out PantheonPodcast.com. Follow them on Twitter, Pantheon Pods, Facebook, Pantheon Podcast. Great selection of music podcasts, something for everyone to check out, so I highly do recommend it. Follow us on Twitter, Follow us wherever you do get your podcast. Please set your app, whatever app that is that you podcast on, to automatic download. So every time the Hook Rocks releases a new episode, bam, comes right onto your phone and it makes your commute to work so much more pleasant. And uh, you get to enjoy all the new, the latest, and greatest Hook Rocks podcasts. Like us on Facebook. Thank you all for the great feedback. Some of our recent episodes loved the feedback on the Tremonti album review that's out tomorrow, as well as the concert review for Nick Perry last week when he opened up for the Struts at the Riviera. This past Tuesday, we had Don Jameson, former host of that metal show, rock and roll comedian, currently on tour with the Dead Daisies. That was a great conversation. Loved having him on. I actually met him in between sets, uh, or maybe after the show, after the Dead Daisies played, and went up to him and like, hey, big fan, would love to have you on the podcast. And he agreed to do it and uh, kept his word and loved having him on. Hope to have him on again in the future. Great guest, great uh, perspective on rock and roll. Hope you all enjoyed that. In case you did miss it, we also did recently the Legacy of Ronnie James Dio. We also had Iron Maiden album review at the beginning of the month. The New Music Spotlight with Station. Chris Lane, lead guitarist, returning to the show once again. And we're getting ready to do another New Music Spotlight. 
We have now first-time guest to the Hook Rocks, first time on the New Music Spotlight. I had the pleasure of seeing this band a few weeks back here in Chicago. Did not know what to expect. I started listening to this band probably about a month before, three, four weeks before. I had the pleasure of seeing them. And I got to tell you, it was like watching a southern rock band with the Van Halen attitude, the Van Halen party. It was incredible. It was absolutely. That's a a pretty hot phrase. (laughs) And and I have to tell you, you know, it it was just an amazing show, a good time show. uh, blew, Blew me away in terms of just the way they played the songs. I'd like to welcome in Andrew Davis, lead guitarist for the band Them Dirty Roses. What's going on, man? How are you? Oh, man, not doing too bad at all. Not doing too bad. Thank you for having me on. Um, so, yeah, uh, you caught us in Chicago. That was that was a real busy day. I think we had uh, three or four different uh, interview type things going on. I think we did like a one of them, you know, um, outside with the van, and then I had a little rig rundown to do. So that was, that was a busy show. I'm surprised I still had energy on stage. <laughs> well, it seemed to me like you guys just kept building as the show went on, right? I mean, towards so, the end, of, yeah, towards yes. the end of the, the show, the crowd was was roaring, and they were totally into it. You guys were, you know, after doing I don't know how many shots, were were pretty much <laughs> in a groove, and it was awesome, man. It was a great time. That's what a rock and roll show should be like. Absolutely, and that's sort of what we had. Uh, I mean, it's not really a conscious decision that we make to do that. That's just what happens when you know the four of us get on stage, and of course, you know, we were all we all were raised on Southern rock. We're also raised on just straight up, you know, in your face rock and roll, Zeppelin, Guns and Roses, all that. And so that's just we just kind of get excited being able to get up on stage, and the longer we're up on stage. As long as the crowd is getting rowdy, the rowdier we'll get, you know. Yeah, it was fantastic. Well, I'm glad you're here. Glad you're on the show. We always start the same way every time we do a show with a first-time guest, and that is really what all right. we're all about, you know, the hook rocks. Just like every great rock song has a hook that sucks you in, every rock band, every rock band has a moment, whether it's a song, an album, a band, or performance – that hooked them on rock and roll. What was it for you? Um, honestly, I think, I mean, I guess there's a couple of different points. That is really sort of a hard question to pinpoint down to one moment. But I do remember about, let's say, I think I was maybe five years old or so, maybe five or six, you know, however old when you start kindergarten and all that. And um, I had just, like every morning getting ready for preschool, kindergarten, for as long as I can remember, you know, my parents would have me in their room doing all the getting the clothes ready and VH1 pop-up video would always be playing. My mom's a huge music fan. And so it was like, that was just always on the TV. And, you know, from the time that I have been able to understand what I'm watching, that just always intrigued me. People, get together playing music like what is this a music video so that intrigued me to begin with and then i'd say at about six years old uh my mom took me to see hootie and the blowfish when they were touring i guess it was on the cracked rearview tour maybe i'm not i'm not really sure exactly what the tour it was again because i was six years old but um so she took me to see that and that was just a high that i could never replicate you know and so then a couple of years later, I was in school and my school just, you know, they offered guitar lessons. And so I had this guitar because I'd been asking for one forever. And I came home from after my first guitar lesson and stood on the front porch and just pretended like it was a stage and like they were just, you know, a huge crowd around me. And it was from that moment that I got hooked to the instrument itself. But then I think really what upped the ante on me for live performance was, uh, I'd say, probably 13 years old, 14 years old. Um, I heard Appetite for Destruction for the first time. And that just blew my mind because I had no idea that, that that 
whole genre of music existed. Uh, that you know, and then followed like a week after that, I discovered Master Puppet. So between those two albums, you know, I had my work cut out for me trying to learn them. Um, but those were just those are definitely turning points into selling me on music in general and not just the instrument of guitar. Where did it go from there for you? I mean, obviously, you know, these moments in your life were, were big for you and, and big for your journey into rock and roll. When did it become, you know, a fan of the music to wanting to play guitar, wanting to be on stage, wanting to be in a band? Well, you know, I think that there was always that desire to like want to be on stage. Like I said, you know, I was like, six or eight years old, came home and pretended I was on stage, I think, until the uh, proverbial dinner bell rang. Um, But, you know, once I got to be about 15 or so and started developing, you know, who I was and, like, that core group of friends you have, I found myself, because I guess it's who I was, uh, always around other musicians or people that were at least super into music. And so... I think I joined my first band about age 15 and it it was a metal band. You know, I came from that background. Like I said, Metallica was one of them that had that influence over me. And so that just took it to even another level going around, driving around the Southeast uh, to just these, you know, hole in the wall venues that they would pack uh, 200 kids into, um, Definitely against fire code, but, (laughs) you know, um, having people actually enjoy and latch on to something that you created, uh, it's, it's a feeling like no other. And then performing that for them live and everybody just being, you know, wild and rowdy and hyped up and that kind of thing. So it's, um, I would say that, you know, that's when it really got solidified in my mind that like, I'm don't think that I'm going to be capable of doing anything else in life for fear or not for fear, but for uh, what's the word I'm looking for. I don't think I'm going to be able to do anything else in life because I just won't let myself not be doing this. You know, there wasn't a backup plan. I went to school. I went to college. I did all of that, but at no point in my mind was that ever a backup plan for me. That was just something to do to show my parents that like, well, I can do this if I wanted to, just to set your mind at ease. But I'm not, <laughs> you know, that's not in the card for me. I'm definitely doing this. And I guess doing it that way sort of, you know, showed them as well. And thankfully, they have been, you know, super supportive of me along the way and have, you know, taken care of anything that I may, you know, back in the, back in the early days, taking care of anything I may have encountered. Is it difficult being in Alabama and being, you know, into metal? I mean, you know, because it's, you know, the southern, you know, states are more kind of country states. You know, there's a lot of country music in the south. There's a, I mean, there, right. obviously there's southern rock. Is it, is, right. it, is it tough to find metal in Alabama, hard rock in Alabama? Um, you know, not really, to be honest with you, because a lot of a lot of the crowd, I mean, uh, first of all, from a young age, you know, there's a huge kind of underground scene for metal amongst, uh, for lack of a better term, people that can't go to bars yet. <laughs> so there's a huge underground scene for that. But then, you know, people in the generations before mine, you know, even if they worked on farms, their teenage years were spent listening to Def Leppard and Poison and you know that's when those that's when that sort of came up for them and so even the older crowd they love that sound you know obviously they all love Skinner and the Almond Brothers but there's definitely no denying that rock and roll and heavy metal uh, have a home here um, you know maybe not so much as in places out like the West Coast but it's definitely never shied away from, let's put it that way. You guys are in Nashville now, right? Well, more or less, yeah. That's where we're that's where we're based out of. And we lived we all lived there for seven to eight years 
for a long time. But um, as we are all well aware of, I won't dwell on this part too long, but uh, 2020 happened and sort of displaced a lot of people. And I think three out of the four of us decided that Nashville, I mean, you know, Nashville is expensive. And when it's firing on all cylinders, it's totally worth it. If you want to do something in music, you got to go somewhere where music is happening. And so it was absolutely worth it. I love that city and I still miss it. But because of, you know, financial reasons and there was no music going on in Nashville for the longest time, um, a couple of us moved to Alabama back to where we were from, I think, uh, you know, singer and the bass player. And then I, through a strange series of circumstances, ended up over in Georgia. And then uh, our drummer still is up in Nashville. So we claim Nashville because it's sort of the city that uh, gave us that shot, gave us that opportunity. Um, and I do plan to return one day. But for now, I think we're all kind of we're all spread around the southeast. I've talked to a lot of rock bands that are based in Nashville, whether it's True Villains, uh, The Dead Deads. I love those guys. Yeah, they're a great band. The Dead Deads, um, Goodbye June, you know, is, is yeah, based in... Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I, I talk with Tyler a lot. He's a great dude. Um, yeah. And one of the things, I think it was True Villains that told me that a lot of rock guys end up being in a backup band for the country guys, right? Because, you, know, you know, that's something funny that I was just talking about this the other day with uh, the rest of my band is guys like me that grew up, like, you know, playing in metal bands, seven string guitars, you know, just loud, fast, heavy. I've noticed that a lot of them are being like bands for country guys uh, like you know, you listen to a song by Hardy and you can hear that influence. You can hear that double kick. You listen to something by Co Wetzel. You can hear the heaviness in the instrumentation. And it's all kind of, uh, it's funny because they're all right around the same age. And we go and look at them and they're playing like a Maylene and the Sons of Disaster song for soundcheck. And we're like, hey, man, I think we probably crossed paths before in some hole in the wall in Cleveland, Tennessee, when we were younger. <laughs> it's just interesting how that is like in the backdrop for all the rock and hard rock guys that are in Nashville. You know, I mean, you do have right. to pay the bills and, and, you know, it is a good way for you guys to find each other, you know, because it sounds Absolutely. like, it sounds like a lot of guys in the backup bands are rock and metal guys. A Absolutely. And you know, that's, that's one of the uh, things about it. And, I mean, obviously, country music is in, like traditional country and the twang and the chicken picking is incredibly difficult. And I'm not trying to take anything away from that. But a lot of the metal guys are very well versed in music and music theory. And they're used to ripping up and down the neck. So they're, they're you know, they can absolutely learn a song. You know, they can learn a set list in a week and be ready to go on the road. And then they come at it from a different perspective than your traditional backup guys of yesteryear. You know, the country guys, they come out a different perspective and kind of breathe a little bit of new life into a genre that, you know, we all know the, the certain group of country music that got 808s and clap tracks and things like that. And it seems like that, you know, it seems like that was going to be the nail in the coffin for, country music and that everybody was sort of jumping ship, uh, like any real country. And then these guys come along and breathe some fresh life into it and infuse it with a little bit of, you know, just different, you know, different perspectives. And now I'm sort of seeing them take over a little bit more than, uh, you know, not to name any names or whatever, but a little bit more than those 808, you know, flat bill kind of, crowd i'm seeing a let's get rowdy shotgun beers and you know we're, we're all from the country but we just happen to be playing a little bit heavier type of country <laughs> yeah no it's just and it's also interesting how the music business in general is moving more towards nashville it's not just a country town anymore i mean a lot of Absolutely. rock guys yeah a lot of rock guys a lot of le legacy guys have now yeah, moved oh, down yeah. there 
Yeah, Dave Mustaine came in a couple years ago. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of guys that are moving in there, and it's sort of what I said is like it. Eventually, you know, it was bound to happen. It's been known forever as the country music capital, but when you get that much attention, when you've got all of the CAAs, the UTAs, the uh, you know, the WMA, like the, the booking agencies, when you've got management firms, you know, Red Light Management has an office there. There's all, you, when you have that many people in town, it's bound to evolve eventually because these guys aren't just going to attract country. You know, when you've got labels and management firms that are not exclusively country, then yeah, you you could easily get discovered by your next manager, your next booking agent, or even your next label by playing a rock show at the basement or by going to Mercy Lounge on a Wednesday and playing a rock showcase or, you know, any of those things are possible. And so I think that people of all genres that have instruments in them are sort of flocking to Nashville. Uh, and the traffic will also back me up on that. How did you guys find each other? We all grew up together. Um, uh, James and Frank are brothers. So, they literally grew up together and uh, James being the singer and Frank being the drummer. And then Ben was, you know, Ben and Frank were in the same class with each other. So they've known each other since maybe middle school or before. And then I, uh, I started, I joined them at the school in ninth grade. So like right at the beginning of high school, I met all of them, you know, we, it's a small town. So, musicians are you know you got you can count them on two three hands you you know uh and so we all knew each other and we were doing our own things a little bit you know first but we always kind of kept up with what everybody else was doing again because the musicians in the town are sort of a close-knit uh community and then eventually you graduate high school move on a little bit and everybody drops all of their other activities you know the school football um, and you sort of start to fit in with what you're going to be doing for the rest of your life. So after that period of everybody, uh, you know, dropping all of their extracurricular stuff and kind of moving on to focus on your primary, we all just sort of looked at each other one day and we were like, man, all of our bands just broke up. Uh, I just lost the lease on my recording studio. Nobody, we, we don't seem to be doing anything else. So why don't we why don't we move to Nashville and see what happens with this thing, man? I don't think any of us want to do anything else with our lives. So why don't we give it a shot, see what happens. And it just sort of instantly clicked. And here we are. Was there a type of band or, um, you know, type of music that kind of pulled you all in together? Um, I mean, it's a little bit of everything because, you know, it, you can name an infinite number of subgenres of rock and roll or rock and blues or anything. So we all have different influences. I, you know, I mentioned earlier, I was kind of more of a just straight in your face, Les Paul, Marshall Stack, rock and roll guy. Um, our drummer always loved uh, Zeppelin. He was, he was a huge Bonham guy. Uh, our singer is a Motown soul kind of guy. And our bass player is uh anything that's just rowdy, you know, it's got some groove and some, it makes you want to jump up and down. And so, you know, no matter we could be the furthest thing apart, you know, I don't know that you would say that like appetite for destruction or Axl Rose is necessarily going to be like Percy Sledge, but in still in some weird way, you can tie those together because of like, you know, the blues based thing. So we came from all over the spectrum, but I think that, we all sort of melded that together and found a home with what we're doing here. As far as the creative process goes, I mean, is it a pretty much four person collaborative effort or is there members of the band that take the direction and, and kind of lead the, the journey for the band? Well, um, it is a four person collaborative effort at different stages along it. You know, um, James, the, the singer and uh, he, will typically bring something to the table. You know, him and an acoustic guitar sitting, playing a song. He'll bring something like that to the table. And, you know, I mean, every now and then 
somebody else will jump in and help him write it. I'd say probably 30 to 40 percent of the songs have got another one of us that just happened to be in the room that helped him, you know, flesh through it. But then we all do a different thing. Like I have, you know, I work at a studio and I mix and uh, I mix music uh, in my off time from the band. So I'm, I'm coming at it from a little bit different of an approach in terms of like, Ooh, you know, we can arrange this here. This would be a cool stop. And then just drop back in on this beat. Cause that, you know, that would provide impact or, Oh man, let's take this section and move it, you know, that kind of deal. And then adding layers and stuff. And Frank has always got really, uh, unique, maybe not unique rhythmic ideas, but he's got a unique way that he plays and that he is, like, he hits the drums so hard. You would think that they just told his mom that her fried chicken sucks or something, you know, he's just, he's hammering down on them. So he brings a unique, uh, you know, a, a unique rhythmic thing to it. And then Ben as well, Ben is really, uh, he's got a silver tongue. He's got that gift of like, he can just, twist words in a certain way. So he always can help with those lines that we're trying to make the hook or something. He can always twist that and make that happen the right way. And so we all have our different inputs on what's going on. It doesn't necessarily mean that it's four people sitting around a coffee table with the pen and paper writing, but I would say that we all contribute roughly, you know, evenly to what's going on. Does it help that you guys have known each other for so long? You know, if there's differences in creativity, if you're struggling to kind of see someone's perspective on something, does it help that you guys have that relationship? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. It sometimes it makes it harder in the moment because none of us are afraid to look at the other one and be like, "Yeah, I don't know about that. Let's that we're, we're you know we're let's not run in that direction because that doesn't sound like something that we're doing yeah this doesn't sound like something that we're doing as opposed to beating around the bush for a couple of weeks and then eventually it falling apart you know it may create a little bit of tension in that moment but overall i think it helps us get through it weed through things faster you know i love the song cocaine and whiskey uh it's such a <laughs> i mean it makes you laugh <laughs> but it's got such a great groove to it the lyrics are phenomenal Absolutely, absolutely. It goes with that, you know, again, the cocaine and whiskey title, the partying type of atmosphere you guys bring. I remember right. you guys being on stage saying you're you're an alcohol-free band, so if you want to buy us some drinks, you know, we're, we're totally game. We'll take game. all the free drinks you buy yeah. us, yeah. That's yeah, awesome. <laughs> absolutely. Um, absolutely, yeah. I mean, that's a, that, that was a great song, and that, you know, we just kind of got super lucky with that one. It. I have no idea how or why it took off or what even caused it to take off. It just sort of organically developed and it's afforded us a lot of opportunities to get the rest of our music out there and to be on the road and to do things that otherwise, you know, might take us a couple more years to get. How important is it to have a song like that that kind of helps lead you guys into playing Chicago and being able to play places across the country? Right. Like I said, I mean, it takes, you know, two to three years off of that wait time. Uh, you can, you can sort of jump into it and make it happen sooner. And you can show people that like, Hey, that's not the only song that we've got. Um, <laughs> you know, and you can do that sooner and it just opens the door to everything, all of your other songs, you know, it, it opened the door to us to, release other songs and actually get a good response from them, uh, to have a fan base to listen to them that, you know, maybe in the past that could have been considered like a one hit wonder type thing for a band. But in this day and age that it gave us a platform to share our other music quicker and to not be, you know, that one hit type of band. When you and I talked after the show, you made mention about how, you guys made a made a decision to stay in Alabama to really hone your craft to really kind of play as much as you could, and then decided to really take it on the road. Right. Yes, and that's you know that was sort of a thing is because we were all very 
familiar with Nashville and we saw the talent that was coming out of that city and we sort of made that decision that was like, you know, if we're really going to be serious about this and we're really going to like go all in, buy into this, like, you know, drop your backup plans and like, this is happening just period. There's no other option. And we, you know, we decided that it's probably best to woodshed it. And then by the time it's ready for the world to unveil the best possible version of it is, and, you know, not figure it out in front of the world, like figure that out and then, then take it to the world. I totally get that. You know, it's all, you're making your first impression, right? And you have to be ready. Absolutely. And yeah. And you know, it's always better to be slow and steady because what rises fast falls fast. Exactly. That's sort of, that's that's the entire idea behind everything that we're doing is we want to be here 30 years from now. You know, I want to, I want to pull a rolling stones on everybody and people are sitting there wondering how we're still alive and still on stage playing music in 30, 40 years. And in order to do that, you got to do things the slow way. You got to meet every single fan that you make. You, you know, you can't just have a tastemaker say that you're the new thing. And then all of a sudden, once they're not saying you're the new thing anymore, all of those fans are now gone because they weren't ever yours to begin with. You have to actually create fans of you and your music instead of just, you know, oh man, 40 million people just heard the new song. And then now they're not listening anymore. And so you can have the rug yanked out from under you real quick. Uh, if you're, you know, if you're taking shortcuts or doing it for just the, the fame of it all. Well, there is something to be said to not being ready. I mean, I, I listen to a lot of new young artists. I get a lot of stuff sent to me via email and right. one of, one of the few things always occurs Well, first Sometimes when someone sends something to me, it kicks ass. Like, wow, this is this is awesome. <laughs> yeah. You know? The second thing is, yeah. is that the production isn't there. And it's not there sonically. Right. And I, yep. I always say you should never go into a studio unless you're paying, you know, to have it produced by someone that makes you sound like rock stars. You know, when it sounds yeah. like an amateur level recording, that's the first impression that people are going to hear from you. And it's really hard to get that back. Right. Oh, absolutely, man. You know, that's the thing. Um, that's another thing about the whole waiting deal is we could put out 35 songs right now that aren't done or ready or anything, but we're not proud of that. And so why would you put out that just for the sake of doing it? You know, take time and make sure that what you're putting out impresses you. Like I have sent, I mean, maybe this is a little much or whatever, but I still love listening to our music because that's why we made the decisions we did when we were writing it is because we enjoyed it. You know, it wasn't writing for anybody else. It was like, man, subconsciously we were like, what would we want to hear? if somebody else pitched us a song. And so I, you know, I still enjoy listening to it. That's some of my favorite stuff. I really do. Like just because our influences are also different. Uh, I do love how it all comes together. The other thing, the last thing is like when you get some you know, music sent to me is you can tell they haven't played this material out. There's a lack yeah. of, there's a lack of synergy there's a lack of connection with the band. It doesn't doesn't feel right. And it's not because they're not good musicians. It's just right. before you record music, you need to go hit the clubs and you need to play this stuff out. You need to get the kinks out of the song, do something different. I often hear the story that David Lee Roth tells about Van Halen in the amount of yeah. hours they played clubs before they put their first album together before they you know recorded their first album. It was like something like 5,000 hours or something like that. Oh and, yeah. I would absolutely believe it, you know, cause that's what it takes to develop that unique sound. Right. Like anybody can write a song and put it together and then hire a bunch of guys and then hit the road with it. But if you're developing something truly unique, that doesn't come overnight. doesn't matter how talented or creative you are. That comes from, shared experiences and 
things that, you know, doing it over and over again until your brain hears something that you want to do after the 300th time you've listened to that song. Right, right. I mean, too many young artists want to get together, write a song, and then immediately put it out on streaming services. And oh yeah, I, I'm glad there's so many young artists that want to make music, but before you do that, man, you gotta you gotta really work out that song. It's like working out. It's like getting it physically in shape. You got to get the song yeah. in shape, and you will yeah. if you stick with it. But I think there's too much of a instant gratification, or they got to do it right away. And like you said about taking shortcuts. That's a huge shortcut. If you're not playing this out over and over again and playing it for people, whether it's free at some backyard party or free right. at, the, at the VA hall or whatever, you know, <laughs> absolutely, it's got to be done. That's the only way to, to, to be rock and roll. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, it's kind of another, it's a funny thing. We always, uh, we always joke about, we'll be, you know, during festival season, we're going to all these different places and whatever, and we'll hear about, oh, the next hottest thing out of Nashville, you know, they moved to Nashville six months ago and then got a publishing deal, got a record deal, put a band together. And it's hilarious to me because these people rolling up on a full-on Prevost tour bus, you know, giant trailer. They've got a tour manager. They've got a lighting guy. they got a front of house guy. And they, they everything is manufactured. There's nothing, I mean, some of these people went on to be great. Don't get me wrong. They did put the work into it. And like, I'm not knocking that way of doing things. It's just, it, it doesn't feel real. You know, that there's, there's almost, I mean, very rare cases in history. Sure. But there's almost no such thing as an overnight success because behind that overnight success was the five to seven years of planning that went into how are we going to release this? How are we going to release that? How are we going to write this? What are we, you know, playing around, playing around? It looks like an overnight success to the public because there was one day when they started and they said, all right, it's game time. The thing that we've been planning on for all these years, let's unveil it. And so it looks like it's an overnight success, but in reality, you know, they put 10,000 hours into that. Yeah, it, it really is. It's a great point. I mean, everybody thinks that there's overnight success, but there is so much time spent, you know, just you know, in basements and garages and just figuring it out and and working that song out. I, I, it's nice to hear you say that because there's there's a lot of bands that are coming up, and a lot of them are great, and a lot of them do what we're talking about, right? But it's yeah, it's disappointing that when you get something and you hear something and you know there's good musicians behind that yeah. and they just, you know, they're, they're, they're too soon. Someone's told them, Hey, just put the song out and just, you know, you're not going to get that first impression back. Every time someone sees your name after they listen to your song and the sound quality wasn't that good or the song wasn't worked out properly, it's going to be very hard for them to come back. Yeah, absolutely. As far you as know, you only get one chance at a first impression. That's true, man. That's a, that is a cliche saying, but there's a hundred percent truth behind it. Yeah. And then, you know, the other thing is once you do release that, what's next, you have to follow that with something. And if this was a one-off flute that just happened to you, then if you don't have any plans for success, if this really was a fly by overnight, you know, boom, somebody heard you, boom, label invested in you. Now you've got all of this and you're moving so fast, but you don't have a next step in your plan, then your momentum gets derailed. And it's almost like you have to start all over again, except now people have already heard of you. So there's no excitement around you. You're just starting all over with no momentum. Yeah, very true. How about with you guys? What's next in terms of music? Man, we have, uh, you know, we've got a lot of good stuff coming. I think we've got this next single that should be coming out. I think it's eight days now. Um, and we're, we've got, we've got some stuff planned, uh, but it's, you know, that's all part of the, that's all part of the thing. It's all part of the mystery and uh, of it, you know, it's the intrigue is what is next, you know? So that's kind of what we, we want to make people think a little bit. We want to get them excited. We want to bring a little bit of that, Oh man, what are they going to do next? And we, we've got, we've got a next 
planned, but I don't want to spoil it just yet. Is there an album coming? Is there going to be physical copies of the music? Please say yes. Please say yes. Oh, absolutely. You know, that's there there is no there is no better like way to listen to music than wake up one morning and walk into your living room, set that vinyl on the turntable, start it, make you a cup of coffee, sit down on the couch, grab a guitar and just listen and kind of pick along, you know. So Absolutely. We're going to, we're going to be putting out something for people to grab onto something for people to look at the cover of something for people to, you know, pour over every little detail on it because that's the fun of buying an album, right? Absolutely, man. It's the physical absorption of, 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 you know, of the physical or absorbing the music physically is so important in, and, I think that's a lost. I don't know if it's ever going to come back 100% to what it was, but it is very important to make that connection where it's not just right. something that you point, click, and download. Yeah. And I mean, that part of the industry is evolving. And there are certain people that are on the cutting edge of that that are doing it really well. They aren't oversharing on social media, they're not, you know, losing that thing that made like rock stars, rock stars, you know, that was one of the things like, well, I I got appetite and I was still young. You know, the internet was a very new thing. So it wasn't, there wasn't social media. I bought that, man. I read every little thing in that booklet. I looked at every picture. I tried to see what was, where they were, what was going on. And then, you know, looking up pictures of them on the internet, like I said, in the, you know, early days and like trying to find out more about them. But not being able to have that, like, it, 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 I, they weren't around so much that it became boring. They were just accessible enough to, like, know who they were, see photo shoots of them, read interviews, look at all the rig rundowns. You know, that sort of media was just now coming up and doing it. You know, reading Guitar World magazine just to see that one page in the back that gave the, you know, the rig rundowns of Slash or whatever. Um, and that is, but really, that's a cool way. And there's a lot of people that are doing it the right way that are evolving that for the new age. You know, I know that there's a, there's a company out right now, Digital Tour Bus. You know, they're doing bus invaders. And that is, I mean, that's really cool to me because that's one of the things that I always wanted to know when I was growing up about my artists. It's like, how do they live on the road? What does it look like when they do this? And those are people that I consider doing it the right way. You know, I don't necessarily want to see my favorite artist wake up in gym shorts and sit around bored. Because then the, then the allure is gone. The mystique is gone. Sure, everybody wakes up, wears gym shorts, and sits around bored sometimes. But why are you showing me that? That doesn't help, your, that doesn't help you. That doesn't help your, um, your goal, you know. If you're trying to create something really cool, and we all are, we're all trying to create something cool. You know, there's no, there's no, well, you know, we're not, we're not deceiving anybody. (laughs) We're all here to make something cool. And I just, you know, I don't understand sometimes the new age of doing things. But anyway, I'm kind of starting to ramble now. So, uh, you know, back to you on this one. Well, you know, it's just, I agree with a lot of that stuff. You know, I mean, you know, music, it has a place in everyone's life. And the more physically connected you are to something you tend to appreciate it more you tend to crave it more when music is right. when music is background like when you walk into a, a starbucks or a, you know a big box store and you hear music yeah. it doesn't have that same meaning you don't really understand why it's so important i mean everyone i know who's had a connection with music has a different perspective on a lot of different things because a lot of times music is your voice. It's the lyrics that you can't say yourself that you use a song to speak for you sometimes. And Right. I mean, absolutely. I think that's kind of why it started to begin with, you know. As far as, you know, the rest of the year, I know you guys seem like you're headed back and playing, you know, in Alabama and surrounding areas. Is there you know, plans for more live shows across the country in the new year or this year? Oh, absolutely. Um, I don't know 
you know, I don't think that we'll really ever not be touring. I think that's, that's the thing about it is like, um, we all, I mean, you know, we all love writing and getting in the studio as much as the next person. But I think all of us, what really drew all of us to music was performing it. So without that performance, it's kind of, uh, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't do as much for us without that performance aspect. So we're always on tour. We're always on the road, bringing the party to any kind of cities near you. So we definitely have plans to get out there. You know, the one thing that I want to say about you guys is watching your show. And you guys are a new band. You're playing a new market for you. And, of course, you know, everybody wants more people at the show. But I will say, right. I will say this. One thing. You guys played like you were playing for 10,000 people. And, two, the people that were there sounded like the place was full. And that is a testament to your music and a testament to your performance. Right. And, I mean that uh that's something that we all crave you know that's obviously nobody wants to go sit and play for people that are not interested so whenever we can make the crowd loud then we get rowdier drive them to get rowdier than that and it's sort of just like a ping pong effect and it leads to one hell of a party it reminded me of the blues brothers sing so uh, the blues brothers oh, scene yeah okay when when they're the good old boys and they go into that place and they got the chicken wire and they start playing you know their blues numbers and everyone's <laughs> just like staring at them like what's this by the end of the show i mean they're throwing bottles up they're having a good time they're dancing and it was like it was it wasn't exactly like that but it was reminiscent how the band was feeling you right. out or the crowd was feeling you out and by the end of the show man people were in front of the stage they were buying you guys shots it was it was tremendous it was awesome to see that right man it's always funny that's something about us that like you know depending on where you go some people think we're a country band some people think we're a rock band and so when you go to a venue say we'll just take that for example at Joe's and it's it's advertised as like, Oh, a country band. And then we show up with Gibson guitars and Marshall amps and, you know, uh, long hair. And people are kind of like, huh, I wonder what this is going to be like. And then, you know, it cranks up and you got the, the thunderous drums and they're like, hold on. This is not like any country music that I've ever heard before. And then on the flip side of that, you know, we'll go to rock venues and, we're wearing boots and, you know, bell bottom uh, jeans and like flannel shirts sometimes, or like, you know, uh, Stetson hats or something. And the rock crowd goes, huh, this is not like any rock music I've ever heard before. And so it, it, it always, it, it's always fun to watch those reactions of people that think we're something and then they hear it and it's the other thing. But then, the best part about it is to, like you said, to win them over at the end of that and to get that like, hey, you know what? You can call us country. You can call us rock. And that's fine. But, you know, what we really are is this thing that you're hearing. And uh, we're glad that you came to party with us. And now the crowd is alive and roaring. And that's always really fun to see everybody kind of click in their head. They're like, huh, okay, I don't know what to call it, but I'm going to call it cool. It was great, man. I, I I walked into that place years ago when I was younger. Twenty years ago, that area was craziness in the city of Chicago. There were clubs, there were bars, there were. I mean, that place. I mean, there were strip clubs on that street. There were there was. I mean, it was just like on a Friday and Saturday night. It was just chaos. And I'm driving down there, and I haven't been down there in like 10 years. And I'm like, Oh man, this is going to be nuts. I'm like, you know, I'm like, I hope I have the patience that I had when I was in my twenties, <laughs> you know? So, Absolutely. And I walk and I, and I drive down there and like, it's quiet. Like what happened to all the riffraff? Like, what happened to my city? Yeah. Where's all the craziness? You know? Right. What happened to like Chicago sunset strip? Where was, you know, why, why are there not kids on skateboards and 
people holding 40s. People, people peeing behind trees or peeing, like, you know, girls pulling their skirts up and peeing right in the middle of the street, you know? Right. It's like, it's like, <laughs> yeah. it's like where, what happened? It's like, it's, it's like the suburbs. <laughs> it's like, we're, yeah, it's it, so it got a little bit more tame now. This is disappointing. Yes. Well, hey, we tried to, we tried to bring you a little, a, a little dose of that. You tried wild, to, this, uh, you tried to bring the hell back, you know? Oh yeah, exactly. That's, hey, that's a good phrase. I like that. Well, Andrew, man, it's been a blast. Thank you very much for doing this. I've been looking forward to it since I saw you guys a couple weeks ago. Absolutely, man. I, you know, like I said, I'm all about talking to people and, you know, meeting new people. So, uh, anytime that you want to do this again, we'll be ready. We'll have to, uh, get in touch before we go to Chicago next. Absolutely. And when you have new music, you definitely are invited on anytime. Oh, absolutely. Like I said, we got another one in, uh, coming up in eight days, I think. So uh, be on the lookout for that. And then uh, who knows? Keep your eyes on us. See what we're doing next. You never know. All right, everybody. That is Andrew Davis from Them Dirty Roses. Thanks for being on the show. I'm Jay Scott. This is the Hook Rocks, the Ultimate Rock Team Podcast. We'll talk again soon. Thanks. That's a lie, and my heart is tired of aching. Was tired of breaking up, and the only thing that I've got is this whiskey in my cup. Well, I quit my school. Job, but I never stopped dreaming of being a star. I'm not like my mother, well, ain't that a shame? I'm nothing like my father, I just got his name, and my heart is tired of aching. Oh, it's tired of It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.